0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. When it's safe to stand alongside those being marginalized, to to, to amplify their voices, to to, to hand them the mic, when it's safe to do that, I'll no longer be needed. It won't be needed to do so even. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 250 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Solidarity with the Crucified Community, and our featured text is Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now now this phrase, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In a recent article, uh, we, we've been talking about this over the last few uh, podcasts or uh, pyramid circles and and uh, social structures. I mentioned that the term sinner was used in Jesus's society to, to push people to the edges, to the lower sections of their community. It, 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 the label of sinner pushed someone into what could be called a crucified uh, community. Ched Myers uses the debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees over the over, whether grain was clean or impure to illustrate for us how, how this works. And this is from his book, um, Binding the Strongman, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. And this is page 76. He writes, According to Leviticus 38, if water is poured upon seed, it becomes unclean. The passage, however, does not distinguish between seed planted in the soil or seed detached from the soil. In years of poor harvest, a frequent occurrence owing to poor soil, drought, warfare, locust plagues, and poor methods of farming, this text was a source of dispute. Why? During such lean years, grain was imported from Egypt, but the Egyptians irrigated their fields, putting water on seed, so that their grain was suspect, perhaps even unclean. The Sadducees judged that such grain was unclean and anyone consuming it became unclean. They were quite willing to pay skyrocketing prices commanded by scarce domestic grain because they could afford it. One senses economic advantage being sanctioned since the Sadducees were often the large landowners whose crops increased in value during such Times by contrast, the Pharisees argued that the Pentateuchal ordinance applied only to seed detached from soil. Therefore, one could be observant and still purchase Egyptian grain. And I've covered this repeatedly uh, in, in uh, uh, the the, the Eastside article, the lost coin, and in the presentation. You can find Jesus's preferential option for the marginalized. I'll put a, a link to that in this week's site, But people use this pejorative term, this label of sinner to other another human being and, and to limit their voice in the community. The, the writers of the Jesus story, they go to great length to communicate that the ones the religious and political leaders of that time had labeled as sinners were the ones that Jesus included and also centered as he called for a, a new social order that, that favored them. And here's just, a, I'm going to give you just a few examples in Matthew 9, 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And remember that Jesus is using the labels of of righteous and sinner as they were used in his society. Not as many Christians use them today. Those labeled as righteous by those in in power, um, they were the ones that threatened uh, those in power's political and economic structures the least, and they they benefited from them. The label sinner, it was used to silence the voices of those who would have pro Tested either their own exploitation or, or another person's exploitation. In Matthew 11, 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, but they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In Mark 2, 15 through 16, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating, with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Luke 5, 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? In Luke 19, 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The people that Jesus ate with weren't sinners ontologically, they were sinners politically. Politically. They were sinners economically. They were sinners socially. Um, it, it was a label they carried in, their, in their, uh, uh, their community. And in this context, therefore, it's not accurate to respond, as many do, well, we're all sinners. We have to recognize how the label of sinner was used against some people and not others. When, when particular human beings are being targeted, when they're being marginalized, it's not enough to call. Call for universal grace, in other words, saying we're all sinners, we we all deserve grace. Instead, we ought to call for justice. A breach in relationship happens when one person marginalizes another and labels them as as a sinner. And a person may be a sinner, but but, but they are labeled that way to religiously legitimate injustice against them. And Gustavo Gutierrez reminds us in a theology of liberation, page one. One thirty-nine. He writes, "All injustice is a breach with God, and I believe it's a breach. It's a breach with God because it's really a breach with our fellow human beings." In last month's reading book for for New Heart Ministries reading course, uh, we looked at Kelly Brown Douglas's book, "Stand Your Ground: Black Bodies and the Justice of God," and she writes about this. This is on page one seventy-one. She says, "In Jesus' first-century world." Crucifixion was the brutal tool of a social political power. It was reserved for slaves, enemy soldiers, and those held in the highest contempt of the lowest regard in society. To be crucified was, for the most part, an indication of how worthless and devalued an individual was in the eyes of established power. At the same time, It indicated how much of a threat that person was believed to pose. Crucifixion was reserved for those who threatened the peace of the day. It was a torturous death that was also meant to send a message, disrupt the Roman order in any way and this too will happen to you. As there is a lynched class of people, there was without a doubt a crucified class of people. The crucified class in the first century Roman world was the same as the lynched class today it consists of those who were castigated and demonized as well as those who defy the status quo. Crucifixion was a stand-your-ground type of punishment for the treasonous offense of violating the rule of Roman law and order. That Jesus was crucified affirms his absolute identification with the Trayvons, the Jordans, the Renishas, Renes- the Jonathans, and all other victims of the stand-your-ground culture war. Jesus' identification with the lynched slash crucified class is not accidental. It is intentional. It did not begin with his death on the cross. In fact, that Jesus was crucified signals his prior bond with the crucified class of his day. Jesus did not stand in solidarity with the marginalized crucified class as well. He didn't do this in secret. He he, he, he didn't do it so diplomatically or or with an eye toward political expediency, he, he did so openly, he did so publicly, he did so transparently. We see an example of this in, in, in a story in Mark's gospel, Mark 3, 1-5. through 5. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of every 1. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do evil or to do good, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And consider that phrase there in in the middle. Jesus called him to stand up, in front of everyone, Jesus knew that what he was teaching and and whom he was standing with, he knew what it was going to cost him. He he could have met that man at the the back of the synagogue, could have pulled him into a private room where he could behind the scenes engage the the this the example of liberation. But 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 no, instead Jesus met and healed him right there in front of everyone with an intention. And I I read I read this story often. When I'm tempted to, to value protecting my own privilege o- o- over uh, the people who today uh, need others to speak alongside of them. When it's safe to stand alongside those being mar- marginalized, to, to, to amplify their voices, to, to, to hand them the mic, when it's safe to do that, I'll no longer be needed. It won't be needed to do so even. And to quote the, the 1980s synth pop classic, Take On Me, one of my favorites from the 80s uh, by Aha, it's, it, it's not better to be safe than sorry. So does open solidarity with those being marginalized, does it come with a cost? Does it come with a cost for those who have privilege in society to stand with those who, who are the crucified class? Well, you bet it does. According to the story in Mark, the immediate pushback for Jesus' public witness to this man's liberation was that the religious and political leaders went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And this is only in Mark's third chapter. that the, the leaders are threatened by Jesus' public and transparent inclusion of those that, that they excluded from the very beginning of Mark's story. And, and all of this raises the question for us this week, who are we known to stand in solidarity with? Who who, who, who do we have the reputation of standing in solidarity with? Are we standing in solidarity? Are we known for being sta- for standing in solidarity with, with the status quo? Or are we known for for being uh, for standing in solidarity with those beloved people who daily face oppression and exploitation and marginalization within our status quo? There's a lot to consider here this week. Uh, Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Heart group application this week, something a little different uh, due to the circumstances. This past month, on the same day that the U.S. moved its embassy to to Jerusalem, uh, over 60 nonviolent Palestinian protesters, including children in Gaza, were murdered by Israeli snipers. And I'll put a link to, to that. It was the deadliest day uh, uh, of killing for Palestinians in Gaza since 2014, um, but again, I'll, I'll give you a BBC article to that. But here are some things that you and your heart group can do this week to in response to that. Number one, participate in protest in your area in response to what's taking place in Gaza. Voice your objection publicly. Remember that publicly part, that transparency part. Number two, use your social media platform, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or or, or or, uh, Instagram or, or whatever you use, even Pinterest or, or maybe, uh, uh, Snapchat, whatever you use, use your social media platform to bring awareness to what's happening right now in Gaza. And then number three, contact your federal, your state, and your local representatives, write them a letter, send them an email, or better yet call their office. They they love phone calls and and then donate to charities. Number four. Um, and you're going to need to do some due diligence with this and research. And, and, and finding the, the, the right charity. Find a charity that that has people with feet on the ground who can evidence that your gift will will reach the people who need it. And one charity that does meet these criteria, if you need an example, is is UNRWA. Um, I'll put a link to their USA site uh, in this week's e-site. It's, it's UNWRAUSA.org, I believe. But uh, but I'll put the link in um uh, this week's e-site. Number five, talk to your family and friends. Talk to your family and your friends to to raise awareness and have them join you in in some of the above actions that we've just mentioned. And then number seven, support uh, a peace-building initiative. Support Muslim and Jewish organizations that are working to bring peace while practicing a preferential option for the vulnerable. Standing against the violence in Gaza, it's about standing up against oppression, uh, colonization, discrimination, and, and inequity. Thanks for checking in with us this week, wherever you are keep living in love, keep living in resistance, survival, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Remember, another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.